Hello everybody, welcome to Trapping Radio. This is your host Clint Locklear. It's uh, in January, feels like it's trapping weather outside because it's pretty freaking cool. And it's just that time of the year that we all enjoy going out, getting our fingernails dirty, looking for sign, finding those amazing spots. Isn't it amazing? Some of y'all have been doing this much longer than I have. I started when I was in my 20s, 30 years ago. But some of you started with your granddad when you was a kid. But let me ask you this. When you're going out on a trap line, especially on a new area, and you show up and you're looking around and say it's uh, something like, say, beaver trapping, and you find the dam... It's got the most amazing crossover that's perfectly made for 330s. And then you look over to the side and you see where the otter's been going up the side of the, the dam. You know, it's a little more narrow. It's not worn down as much, but it's kind of obvious. And you look over and the sticks are coming up in different ways. And it's just perfect to put a 280 in there. You've never seen this place before. Then you start looking around and you start seeing caster mound sets or some high bank trails where you could snag a fox or a bobcat, some raccoons, maybe see some muskrat sign. Isn't it amazing the childlike excitement that grown men have when they find these places? Not all places are like this. And I think if you've been trapping for a while, I think you know what it means. You find where five or six good coyote travelways hook into one place. And as your brain registers what you're seeing, you just go, Ooh-wee! And you just can't help it. That's one of the coolest things about trapping. Because I've seen tens of thousands of beaver dams but every time i find another one that's just it's like the beaver set it up for the trapper it gets exciting or when you come across a bunch of bobcat scat or a toilet next to some really thick cover you got tracks coming in and out and you can see that it's been going on forever there's just something about that. It's like you've never trapped that animal before and you almost know you've got him. And that excitement. When you come back, because it, in your brain, it's like you're automatically going to be a catch. That's one of the cool things about trapping. And guys, never let that leave you. If you get into this and that starts leaving, you need to back up and realize why you're actually doing it. Because unless you're actually doing it because that's your only way of income, you need to enjoy those times. So we're going to talk about uh, some different things tonight. And uh, all of it's going to be trapping except for just a little bit. And I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in our country, but it won't be very much. It's not like I do on Man Strong here lately. 
it's just something I was thinking about. See, today, um, I don't, I don't have to hardly ever go to the dentist, but I had to today, and I broke a tooth about two weeks ago. I'm just eating something, and I feel the tooth just like shear off. You know, I get it out in my hands. I can see the tooth. It doesn't hurt. So I tell my wife, she says, I got to go get an appointment, which I've had some very bad experiences with dentist office. So I go down, it's a new guy. I go, we're way out in the country and this little office, I bet all together is not, I bet it's not 600 square feet. It's tiny. And I go in there and I sit down and I talk to this guy and I let him know basically because he's looking at me and he's telling me what may or may not happen and apparently I was turning white and he said um, we'll get you on some type of drug to calm you down and then we're gonna put you on some high volume gas and you're gonna be okay and I'm like okay well apparently it's just a funny story apparently my wife the day before I go to get this done she had a crown that just came in that they had to put on a permanent crown and apparently I had left a uh, they realized who she was and that she was with me and they asked her to come in with me today and I couldn't believe that now part of it is I'm 275, 80 pounds and look like a linebacker. And what I was doing when I was talking with that dentist, what I didn't realize was when he was telling me what he was going to do, and I guess from what he said to her, I was looking him dead in the eyes and shaking my head no like the you are. And I guess between size and me telling him no, and me admitting that I've been terrified. And I'll tell you what happened. I was in um, uh, war zone and I had a wisdom tooth that got affected. And thing, it was right before everything got kicked off. I had a, a SF medic, which can do damn near brain surgery just because they're, they're, they're a lot more than a medic. Uh, Special Forces guys are amazing. But he looked at my tooth, he called two guys in, they held me down by my arms, he got up on my chest and he pulled my wisdom tooth out, what looked like a standard pair of lineman pliers. I mean, of a, like a, you know, like a, a lineman or a SOG tool. That's not an exaggeration or a joke. And they held me there for like five or 10 minutes because I was furious, I was hurt, and I was going to attempt to kick his ass, which probably wouldn't have turned out very well. So that's one thing with a dentist with me. The other is the last time, and I don't, I don't go to the dentist very often. I don't really have teeth problems, but I did have to get a root canal. We went to a new place, and the guy broke off a drill bit into my jawbone. So it's kind of like, you know, two strikes. You're getting awful close to three strikes, and you're out. It's just not been a good experience. But I will tell you, whatever he gave me, I didn't care about nothing when I was in there. Between the gas and taking this pill an hour ahead of time. But it made me think, after I slept for six hours when I got home, which is very unproductive, if people take these drugs for recreation, 
no wonder nothing ever gets done in their life because you just don't care it's a weird feeling that I'm not used to feeling at all so that's kind of the way my day went today was uh, getting a tooth ground off high as a kite but I will say that all the anxiety that uh, I thought I was going to have I didn't have but when, when you're in this type of I guess highness you think about things and you think about them in a different way I've heard Joe Rogan talk about this and since I don't do drugs it's not like I really know that much about what he's talking about but I'm thinking about the election and guys we're not going to spend but about three minutes on this so we're just going to be trapping tonight I just don't understand how people can do what people do to other citizens. There's no doubt in my mind that we had a color, cover, color revolution in this country and it worked. And we had a coup that's almost complete. And all the media is pushing that there's no fraud. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. This, that, and the other. The courts don't want to look at evidence, which I don't understand. And it's so frustrating. And then when I see stuff on social media and on news sites where people are almost gleeful and laughing at us because they know that they stole the election, there's nothing we can do about it. How does that happen? So today in my drug-induced state, I'm kind of thinking about that. And I think it comes down... Do you believe in science or do you believe in science and virtue? And here's what I mean by this. Science will never get be in the virtue business because it's how does water turn to steam? How does a virus attack a body? How does a drug affect an illness? science real science and all we hear today is we're science based but what I don't hear anybody really saying is we're virtue based we're moral based now see if someone only believes in science which a lot of leftists do and they think it's silly that people believe in any type of God because they think that's, you know, like cavemanish or whatever. What is left? It's science. So if, if there's not virtue, because science never goes there because it can't, and there's no morale because religion, which is where most actual morality comes from in one way or the other, if you don't have those two things and you only believe in science, why wouldn't you steal an election? It gives you power. You win. You have the technology to get the outcome that you're looking for. It's cheating. It doesn't matter to someone that doesn't care about virtue or morality. It just doesn't matter. Can I get away with it and not be punished is very different than someone that's thinking about morality. 
So in my mind now, after being on drugs, because whatever he gave me was a doozy, I think I can now understand why it's so different when we try to talk to people on the other side. They only look at the world through science, which is very limiting to the human experience because science doesn't talk about murder. It doesn't talk about lying. It doesn't, you know, because if, if people can just murder and lie and abuse and cheat and steal, but the only thing they see is their God is science, what difference does it really make what they do as long as they can make it happen? And I think that's what we're seeing in our country. And I think that's why it's so hard for one side to talk to the other. Or one of the many reasons. Anyway, this is what was going on in my drug-induced state today. So I want to talk about our sponsors. We got really good sponsors, companies that you can count on, companies that get your product out. Now, no matter where you're ordering that from right now, if they're using the postal service, guys, you need to understand the two and the three days of getting your product is now a very big oddity. You're probably looking at a week to two weeks. Not that the companies, no matter if they're my sponsors or not, are not putting your, your package in the mail the next day. That's just the rate that it's going. Me and uh, Funky Trap Tag Supplies started going to FedEx to try to get around this, and it's really helped. It cost us more money to do that, but it gets product in your hand a little bit easier. So getting stuff as fast as you could just six months ago, that's probably not going to happen. So just, just keep that in mind. Keep level-headed about it. No one's trying to cheat you. No one's trying to take advantage of you or whatever. It's just the way that it is. For some reason, the Postal Service right now, it, it, it's like everybody that knew what they were doing quit, and they've hired new people that don't even know where the building's at. It's really drastic at the difference. So there's going to be some delays. Now, the sponsors that I have, I almost can guarantee you every single one of them either has your package in the mail the day you order, are within 24 hours, which is pretty good, because these you know it's not like they've got 10,000 employees like Amazon, and computers running around pulling stuff. So the effort that they put in to get your order out is here just almost heroic. But once it goes through that, it's out of their hands. So just keep that in mind. Now, front sponsor this week is F&T Fur Harvesters. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. They've got a tremendous catalog, which is free, that you can call them up and get. All my stuff is in there. I don't have a catalog. And they have, I mean, it's amazing at the diversity of the stuff that they have. So if you're looking for anything between lures and traps and waders and DVDs and books and predator calls and lures and baits and snares, call up F&T. They'll take care of you. Our second sponsor this week is Dunlap Lures. 
Jeff Dunlap is a really good friend of mine. He makes really good lure. He, he started this with his dad back in the 70s. Jeff's now, I think, 51 or 52. So, I mean, he's been at this a long time. And since we're friends, I kind of know Jeff, and I know he takes a lot of pride in what he does, which means he's not selling you junk. That's Dunlap Lures. We have Funky Trap Tags and Supplies, which is also the sponsor of Man Strong Podcast. They got a full trapping supply line, copper trap tags, stuff for deer, bear, hogs, fishing, predator calls. They've got a ton of stuff. And again, if you're looking for a paper catalog with my stuff, you can get it from Funky Trap Tags and Supplies. Then we have Oki Cable and Trap. He is a really cool dude out of Oklahoma. He buys fur some years. I'm not sure if he's buying this year. Sometimes he has meat for sale. Sometimes he has glands for sale. He's got all kind of trapping supplies for you. And he's just a really good guy to deal with. And he's an honest dude. So if you're looking for somebody, Okie Cable and Trap out of Oklahoma. Well, I did questions and answers last week. And I've got some more to do this week. And the first one I'm going to do is one that I meant to do last week. But I forgot because it's out of Saskatchewan. And it's an interesting question. Because it threw me for a loop once I realized what the question was. And I'm not sure I have an answer. But, hi Clint. This is someone from Saskatchewan. Clint, you are... Or Clint, what are your thoughts on using coyote drags on the bottom of a chain drowning rig for coyotes? I'm thinking that they might save me some weight carrying them in. They lock up good on the bottom, and I could use them on coyotes too in the foothold season. Also, if they are a good idea, what weight drag would you suggest? Wow. I'm going to be honest. This one is very intriguing to me. Um, I think this is going to depend a lot what the bottom of your creeks, rivers, and ponds and stuff is going to be like. If it's like in that, uh, you know, what they call, quote, loon shit up in Minnesota... I'm not sure that it's going to do anything except come back out of the water. Where where I'm at on the Tennessee River, it's it's red clay pretty much everywhere with some rocks mixed in. There's places where it's very sandy. There's places where you're going to have to watch for um, sticks and logs and everything else like that. So if you actually pin the coyote drag at the bottom of a chain for a drowning set... Are you going to be able to get that thing back up? Because it's it could one of those tines can get hooked under a root or something. That's not me being negative. That's just me going, okay, what would be the problems for doing this? But if you've got a ground bottom, I would definitely try this. I don't know if I would do 100 of them in the first couple of days, but I would probably try two or three. I mean, worst case scenario... You've got the beaver staked at the top. You don't want to put this in a place where it's going to be, if the beaver's not drowned, it's right on the side of the road or, 
you know, a walking trail or something. But the worst case scenario, as you're seeing if this works, is he's going to pop it loose at the bottom and he's going to be at the top of the slant, the, the, the rig probably, or he's just going to be free swimming out like you've chained him, which is what I normally do anyway. It's very intriguing. One, one of the things that first popped into my head, I was given a, a trapping school to some USDA uh, trappers down in Florida one time. And one of the students was really big on tie plates. And he's very old school. And he would wire two tie plates together for the weight. And then he had cables. If I remember right, they were eighth inch cables. And he would go to where he's going to set the trap. And we could get pretty much close to everywhere we're going with the truck, the way, where we were at. So it wasn't like he was dragging these things, you know, cross country. And he threw it out in this pond, and we didn't catch a beaver at that set. But when we went to pull that set, that's when we realized this pond has been flooded for years, which it looked like it was a normal level. And there was a three-strand barbed wire fence underneath the water in about seven foot of water about six feet away from the bank so when those tie plates went over it we like to have never got that that's the tie plates back out because of that so there, there's all kind of weird things that might could happen by using a drag uh, if you're in clear water and you can see the bottom possibly but you're going to want one that's got very aggressive points, like a saber tooth. Those probably weigh two and a half, three pounds a piece. Um, you you might want to custom do these drags if you're going to do this for beaver. In my mind, and I, I'm 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 talking completely out of my butt right now. I'm just going. If I was going to try this, how would I do this? Most drags, commercial drags, have two points, one on each side that go in opposite directions. If I was going to try this just for beaver, and it's not going to hurt you for coyotes to do this, and you order a really good drag, and you could weld a piece of metal so you've got two points going in opposite directions. So when you throw that thing in the water and you're trying to drag it along the bottom to get it to hook, you're probably kind of a better chance of that if you've got two points doing that. And a cheap, easy way to get hooks or points on your drags is to find someone that's in the south that has uh, that does cotton. Um, probably not something you're going to see up in Canada, man. But you know, you get online and you talk to people, and there's these things called cotton spindles, and they're actually in the cotton the cotton picking machines. And they're made out of kind of a weird alloy, but they weld really easy. And they're they're you know bigger at the bottom. And they have this little gear head on it. They're probably six inches long, and you can sharpen them to be razor. They're easy to sharpen, and you could weld two of those to every one of the drags. But I would start off small, and I would see what's going on. I I think you're you're definitely thinking and and dude that that's that's the the, the main thing. If it saved you weight, it would do it. 
I've had a friend that used to use drags on beaver, but he was just basically chaining them to the bank instead of carrying a stake. He already had them hooked up for coyotes or beaver, and he would just wrap the chain around, uh, you know, hook the drag around a sapling up on the bank somewhere or in a root, set the trap, and the beaver would either be on the bank or swimming when he got there, and he would shoot it. But if you need a positive drowning set with a drag, I, I say give it a shot. I don't think it's going to work everywhere. But if it does work, dude, please let me know. Because that, that's just a, that's the, I've never once in my life thought about that. But I can tell you that in, you know, if there's any type of grass in a field with a good drag, even if it's short, the coyote can't go anywhere. So what's really the difference between that and a beaver? Because you're still going to have it staked at the bottom. So let's say that it saved you a lot of time. And let's say it saved you a lot of energy. But it failed 30% of the time of actually hooking up to the bottom. So you're going to have a live beaver to deal with. If you're using good traps, smooth jaws, uh, laminated, you know, right be good beaver traps. And you had, and you lost, say, 1% of the 30% where the drag failed, but you could put out more sets with less energy, that probably still a win. I would say that that would be a win still. Now, being in Canada, I don't know about your firearm rules, if you can carry a 22 or what you can do on your line, but trying to <coughs> tap a beaver out in the water, you know, between its ears, it might be a little tough. So, you know, you need to keep that in mind. But, dude, I would, I would definitely try it. So... If you like I said, if you do, please let me know. Okay. This is from a question from last week, or the two weeks ago where I talked about not having mud. Yes, I realize your coyote sets and cat sets are very different. I was wondering if I could put peat moss inside the jaws and grass clippings on top instead of using dirt so when it rains my sets don't wash out i was just wondering if this if i could do this with cat sets or if it would scare them off well that's actually what i was saying to do peat moss and grass you won't have mud so you're not going to have the issues that mud causes you especially with freezing and moisture and all that stuff and with bobcats absolutely uh, you can use Cedar duff, if you've got cedar trees, you can use pine straw, you can shred up leaves with a weed eater in a bucket. Uh, you can, you know, take hay bales with a weed eater and, you know, really get that stuff fine. Use your imagination on what's in your area, but absolutely. No, you're not going to scare a cat, man. You are not going to scare a cat by doing that. What I would say with a cat is if you're going to make a set like mine where it's a shoot, I would cover, I would put the traps in just like normal. And I'm not even sure I'd use peat moss if I was going to use grass. 
and I would just start with the grass at the attractant and scatter it all the way out then feather it out at the end because I don't know if it's true but after Slim Peterson talked about cats not like crossing a line a hard line I don't know if that's actually true but it's stuck in my mind enough where where the grass stops I don't want it to be a straight line I want it to be all scattered out so it's haphazard so the cat doesn't see a line so apparently Slim has seen where dirt patterns change from you know one color to the next or whatever and if it's a straight line the cats have a tendency to stop on that line so bring your grass out but have it haphazard on the back side so there is no line it just feathers it out yeah and you'd be fine uh, if, if you're in the east and you can get grass clippings or uh, you know run your leaves through a mulching machine with a bag on it I don't even know why you'd want to use peat moss. If you can kind of see the trap, the cat's not going to pay attention to that. You just don't want the trap to be so obvious because I've tried exposed traps on baited sets and cats will step over them. I, they're not afraid of them. It's just to them, it seems like a, something to, to avoid because it's different. Now, when you do exposed sets in trails and you block them down in the woods the way a lot of guys in Nevada do it, I think you still miss a lot of cats, but you miss almost all the coyotes and they don't want to deal with them. And they catch enough cats so it works, and that's the reason they go with it. But on a, on a dead-end bait set, you know, like a cubby or a shoot set like I do, we've tried them because we thought it'd be easier, and it didn't work very well for cats. And most of the coons we caught... We're by the back foot that were getting caught as they're playing around with the attractor and they just kind of forgot where their feet is at and they step in the trap. So they weren't even getting caught getting caught on they were actually sidestepping the traps. But if you're using grass clippings and leaves or whatever, and you can kind of see a little bit of the jaw here, a little bit of the pan there, I don't think it's gonna matter at all with a cat. No, you're not gonna scare a cat off of that. Cats are very hard to scare. Unless you're standing there and they're standing there, that's about the only thing that's really going to... And I'm not sure you're scaring them then. They're just going to be cautious. So, but I hope that helps, man. Okay. I appreciate you answering my question about Badger last week on Trapping Radio. First off, I apologize if my question was hard to read. No. My eyes are getting bad as I get older, and it's hard for me to keep the lines separate. So, that it wasn't you, man. Um, I will try to make sure and write this email as fluent as possible. I like your thought process on trapping badgers similar to coyotes. Since you're, coyotes and, since you're a coyote and numbers man, I'm sure a few adjustments you would have been for badgers. One day soon i hope to have both also i've been trapping badger a lot like bobcats with super flashy fags and lots of feathers and game hide so i thought if i could combine both strategies it would make a very lethal badger trap set yeah and i think it would i've also noticed that those huge catch circles badger leave behind i pick up a coyote on the reset 
more often than not. See, to me, that's interesting. I've heard this, guys in Wyoming, in Montana. I've heard people say that, and I know the trappers, and I believe them. You know, I ne I wasn't coyote trapping when I was catching beavers, I mean uh, badgers in Iowa, because I was coon trapping, and they just happened to be on the coon trails. So I wasn't trying to catch coyotes afterwards. But in Texas, I would set up those for coyotes because that's what I've read. And dude, I don't think I ever caught a coyote on a badger set unless it sat there for a couple of weeks. So I think, again, that, that may have something to do with what's going on in your area, just the nature of the beast where you're at. But if you're catching coyotes off badgers where you're at, yeah, I would focus on that wholeheartedly. Because if, if you can catch a $59 badger and turn around and catch a $100 coyote off of the same set, that's a $160 set. That, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah, I would absolutely do that. Just in, in my personal experience, I haven't been somewhere where I've noticed that. But that doesn't mean it's true. Have you noticed this to be true of years of trapping? That's what I was just referring to. I've noted on about eight out of ten spots I catch a badger, I catch coyotes in the same set in the following week or two. Well, maybe it's the same. I was just assuming that the coyotes would work those sets quicker. Now, this is not a question. I appreciate you answering my question. This is a big one I've had floating around my head for a while. I know you've touched on different uh, episodes of Trapping Radio, but what do you think about using electronic collars to pull predators into the general area or a piece of property that you're trapping on? See, here in Montana, we're not, not allowed to use little squeakers, e-collars, or, or at our specific sets. I'm going to ask the game warden, but as far as I can tell, there's nothing about having a distressed call go off for a certain amount of time a few times a day, maybe early in the morning. When the sun goes down once or twice in the evening. Okay, so you're going to do it a couple times in the morning, a couple times in the evening. Strategically, having the predator call in the center of the land, you were tramping on with multiple snares in every travel way for 360 area around the collar seems like a strategy. If I perfected, it could be very effective. As well as footholds like dirt holes and flat sets at work. But especially blind sets and trails, I feel like this would be a deadly combination with electronic predator collar. Anyway, again, I hope that my email wasn't too long and I appreciate you getting into this. Let me see if there's any other questions. Okay, if you can't use them in Montana, it ain't worth using them because you don't want to lose your trapping license. So you're smart not using them. I can tell you that I've done exactly what you're talking about in Texas. And what I was doing with it is we had the Fox Pro game calls that we would charge up. So I would make sure that these sets 
were going to be, you know, like in before something, I would check at 12 because in Texas it would get warm. We would take our cats back to a, a walk-in cooler, eat lunch, go out again. So I would make the route where I could get to these callers, you know, by, by 10 or 11 in the morning, and they only work for about six hours. And the new callers may have something different on there. I don't know about new callers. Maybe you can have them go off every 20 minutes. Maybe you can have them go off every hour. Um, if you can do that, I think it'd be better. But what we were doing with them on property that we didn't have permission on for cats, we would put the, the, the Fox Pro on with a female in heat sound. The, the female in heat sound they had that sounded like a female cat having an orgasm, not the one that sounded like a mountain lion. And we would tie that up in a tree off a limb, would be really hard for anything to reach. And right before dark, I would turn that thing on and it would go for about six hours. And normally we would be, you know, a hundred yards away from a property line that we couldn't trap facing, you know, the speaker facing that way. And we would have snares in the fence and we'd have bobcat traps out on the travel ways that a cat would try to sneak up on this thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm positive we caught cats that we would not have caught without doing this. Callers today, I think are a lot cheaper. Um, I know Funky Trap Tags and Supplies has one that was probably a third of the price of the Fox Pro, and most people liked it better. I don't know the name, but you can call up and ask Alan. Um, they last about six months. When I used them in this fashion, I only got about two years of service before they just conked out. So, but, you know, at the time, cats were bringing... 150 to 250 dollars a piece to me that was a very fair trade-off if i caught 10 extra cats i was money ahead i was using it to pull cats out of other places i couldn't set especially through the fences and on the trails now if you're going to do this for coyotes i think it'll work but i think you're going to have to really really be smart on the sounds that you use i would stay away from woodpecker because that's what uh and woodpecker and cottontail and jackrabbit and whatever the trendy sound is of this year because i'm not in predator calling i don't know what it is but i can tell you in a lot of places that's what everybody uses, and those animals learn that is danger. I have a feeling in a lot of places when people turn on cottontail rabbit or jackrabbit in Texas, those coyotes start slinking in the other direction. They've learned that's not a safe thing to go to. So when we were using cats, I was using a female cat in heat during breeding season. It would probably work any time for cats. For coyotes, I might look at sounds like groundhog in distress, because that's very funky sounding. Uh, house cat in distress. A doe in distress. But 
check your law on that because I don't want a game warden saying you're trying to hunt deer that way. So be be cautious about what you're doing, where you're doing it, because there's some weird laws. Uh, goats in distress. Some of the more weird animals that, that the majority of the population of predator callers probably are not going to use. As far as I know, there's no groundhogs in uh, south, central Texas, where I would go. That was our best call for coyotes and gray fox. Rabbits and woodpeckers and all the standard, it was a loser. And we were doing it at night. We had night vision. But the, the weird stuff... Especially if it's not just hammering, like, wah, 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 wah. you know, it, it's up and down in volume. It's it makes you feel like really unnerving to hear it, you know, like something's really struggling and almost dead. That's kind of what I would look at doing. And yeah, set your snares, set your blind sets, and if you're gonna put in flat sets and dirt holes, do yourself a favor. If if you're, let's say, we're going to look at this from a clock, and you're where the hands of a clock come together, where they circle and pivot in the middle, and that's where you're going to put your collar, and you're going to face your collar towards 9 o'clock, what you don't want to do is also have your sets facing 9 o'clock. Because you're asking a coyote, which which his instincts are very high, doesn't want to turn his back on anything that could possibly be danger. You're asking him to turn his back on something that can hurt him. So what you're going to want to do is you want your trap sets, like a dirt hole, to be facing 3 o'clock through the speaker of the collar towards three o'clock on the other side. So if a coyote's sneaking up, trying to figure out what's going on, and he comes across your set, he can keep his head and his attention towards the sound, and I think he'll work your sets a whole lot better. And this is one time I would say, wind be damned if you're going to do this. Because a coyote is not going to want to turn his back on something he's not sure about. He's really not. And if you're going to do this, really pick your locations well. Like, I wouldn't just do it on the edge of an open field. I would pick places where you've got some gullies, and you've got some thick brush, and you've got some deer trails that are going in different directions, or you've got really thick areas that you can put the collar in the dead center of, and a couch going to circle that and circle that and circle that and get closer and closer. Well, if you're doing that, always still place your, your set towards the, the collar, but you can get him to circle. I've talked to deer hunters, and I just talked to one. Uh, so it was Wednesday night. I was out to eat with our neighbors and a, f a friend of his uses my tactical nuke for deer and he was bitching because where he puts it out it, it's the the ground gets so destroyed by the deer trying to get every single piece of that 
and that got the conversation going towards uh, a friend of mine used to hunt on these islands about 40 miles south of here on the river and he would hang a scent in a tree and he's on this small island that you can almost the water is only about 18 inches deep to get from mainland to this island and he's sitting out there with a bow and the deer could smell that deer scent which was probably urine or some type of something like that and he watched that coyote and he had it in the top of a holly bush now if you don't know what a holly bush it's evergreen it's got pointy leaves they're round they're bushy uh it's not like a single tree and he watched that coyote circle that thing about 10 times before he shot it because he figured i'm on a small island there's not going to be a deer here with a coyote running around so might as well shoot the coyote so he killed the coyote but what he couldn't believe is how that coyote because he thought he'd come in downwind because that's what everything's we you know we're taught he thought it would come in just downwind and investigate it but it couldn't really see it in that holly bush but he could smell it and he circled that holly bush over and over and over and over again so let, let's say that you've got an area um I'm trying to think of where you're from well like uh if you're in montana i think that's where you're from yeah montana and you get on the creek banks where you're at and you've got the you know the, the willows and the you know the choke cherries and i'm talking that stuff gets thick if you have that type thing in your area or you have in your area where you have you know a grouping of cedar trees somewhere not pine trees but cedar trees and they're really low to the ground you could you could maybe put that that collar on low volume because they hear very well you don't have to blast them out i would say a cow can probably hear uh, uh, a predator call on on setting one at probably 300 yards you know there's no reason to blow their eardrums out but if you've got an edge to like where there's a field or where the sage meets the choke cherries he's going to go back and forth trying to figure out that in front of those choke cherries and that's a great place to have sets and blind sets and snares if you just have a group of them kind of look at the ground and if there's any game trails that are going around that that's where i would blind sit around that because he's going to do just like the coyote did with the deer scent in the holly bush really think about what you're doing when you do this because you can set it up to i think to actually be pretty productive i don't know how many of these calls you get i think calls have got down to now you know back back when i was doing it Fox Pro was about it, and I think they were $4.99 to $5.99 a piece. I think they're a whole lot cheaper now. But I would definitely check with your game warden or be very, very sure about what your law says about using this. Is, is the game warden going to call this thing a squeaker at this point? I don't know. I don't know what your laws say out there, but make sure that you do.
Clint, this is my first year trapping. You read a couple of my emails last week. I just thought I just caught my first two bobcats using what you taught me through your cat collector DVD. I'm carefully tanning the pet the pelts now and plan to put my first cat on the living room wall. I was wondering about ideas for someone like me that is new to trapping and probably won't get uh, much fur for a while. I thought about trying to tan the furs myself, even though I'm very slow at it right now and may be able to sell locally. Have also a lot of people asked for the bobcat skulls. I've searched the internet and read every Kentucky law I find on trapping and selling fur, but nothing gives a clear answer about a licensed trapper selling tan furs. It says a trapper can sell raw pelts to licensed fur buyers or licensed taxidermists. I thought, since your state is right next door, you may know where I could find it. I've called the Kentucky Fish and Wildlife and just keep getting people who don't know, transfer me, and I don't get an answer. Any ideas you have on making a little extra money could be a, a greatly appreciated. Thanks again for all you do. Okay, I'm going to give you what I think is the truth. From what I understand from being in this business a long time. A raw pelt and a tan pelt are two different things to my understanding. So when you sell, when you get a, a bobcat and you flesh it and you stretch it and you get a sidey's tag on it and you sell it to a fur buyer, that's in the raw fur trade. There's records that are kept on that, different things like that. But when you tan a hide, it is now a finished product. I don't know how to tell you where to actually find this answer. This, And I could be totally wrong, and I hope that I'm not. But if you, once you tan that, that, that hide, it's finished product. The rules in the trapping book about selling to fur buyers are not tanned animals. They're, they're what we call raw pelts. They're just dried, stretched, and cleaned. So if you tan an, an animal, it's your product. I mean, it is when you sell it to a fur buyer too, it is also your product. But it's a finished product that I think you can do whatever you want to do with it at that time. But I will give you some... Uh, and a, a huge piece of advice here just so you never get in trouble if it's a bobcat or an otter or and I don't know if Kentucky makes you get like some places you got to tag beaver I think Maine you got to tag beaver or maybe even uh, Martin or Fisher I'm not sure anything that you have to tag in your state Keep the tag on it even after it's completed. Or take a picture of the pelt with the tag and the numbers and keep them on file. 
hell, I don't even know if you got to have a, a tag to tan an animal. I, I bet you do. I, I would get a tag regardless of whether you need one or not. And here, here, here's why. If you, when you catch a bobcat or an otter, like in Tennessee, that's the only thing we have to have tagged. And all states are going to be different. But if, if you're at a flea market and you're selling some skunk hides and some coon skins and some, uh, you know, all tanned, some bobcat hides and some otter and some coyotes, people will buy those and you'll be amazed at what they'll buy them for. You know, uh, right now, raccoons aren't worth very much. You can probably get $30, $40 for them at a flea market. People just like hanging them on their walls. They like putting them in their gun rooms. They like, you know, doing all kinds of stuff with them. But when you have a cat, what, what I don't want to have happen to anybody with a cat or an otter, which is uh, with a sighties tag, is when you sell that to that person, that tag should be on that pelt just to cover yourself. So let's say you're at a flea market, for instance, or however you're going to try to sell these. A mountain man show or you know a yard sale. It doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, the game warden sees you got fur, and you pique his interest. And he comes over, and he sees you got tanned fur. They're tanned. They're finished. And he's going to ask you, did you catch these? And you're going to go, yes. And he's probably automatically going to go, where's the tag? Legally, on a finished product, I don't think you got to have a tag because if that's the case, when they make a coat, you'd have to have a tags on all the pelts on the coat. And you don't see that. It's a finished product. But from a game warden's point of view, and if you're dealing with someone that may not like trapping, it could be a way just to cause you some issues. So I think the smart thing for you to do is if you're going to sell it, sell it with a tag on it. Now, the tag, from my understanding, it's an international tag, CITES tag, that's designed so when it goes to different states, different countries, all this type stuff, it's a way that they can check that they are, these are legally caught animals and you're not trying to pass off, uh, you know, some type of exotic jaguar for a bobcat. Because most of the game wardens and people at these offices, they don't know the difference between a mountain lion, a jaguar, a bobcat, and a house cat. This would just give you a little bit of, of cover to go, yes, I caught these. I've got a license. I've got it tagged. I finished it, so it's now a finished product. It's not raw fur, and I'm selling my finished product. And I think you'd be totally fine. I think you would be totally fine without the tag but if you come across a peckerhead game warden it could just cause you issues that you don't want to have so I would keep the tags on them. now the skulls uh, you'd be surprised if you if you if you keep some some bobcat skulls and some coyote skulls beaver skulls are really cool skunk skulls are cool even possum you know, and their teeth or stuff in there. Most people that clean those have the bugs. You can boil them. You can do all kind of different things. You know, yeah, people will buy them. And sometimes, 
five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars. I've sold a lot of skulls over my career. Normally the people that have outlets and they say, get me all you can get. Well, you show up with 300 skulls and they about pass out. But locally, you'd be surprised, you know, uh, your science teacher may be able to get the school to buy them. They buy stuff like that all the time. But just people keeping them because it's interesting. Most people have never seen a bobcat skull. It's a freaky looking skull. Um, Well, you're not going to be catching mountain lions in um, Kentucky, but that is a uh, that's a really cool skull that that gets a lot of interest. So there's there's definitely money in that. And if you're looking for extra ways to make money, this is one a lot of trappers don't do, and I don't know why. See, lure makers are always looking for meat. Prices are different from year to year, but it's definitely worth your time. I buy bobcats, beaver, muskrats. I buy the meat off of those. I would buy meat of Nutria if someone could get me enough volume and guarantee they could do it from year to year. Nutria is a great meat for, for trapping baits. But when you look at a beaver that's got... You know, a 50-pound beaver is probably going to have 20 pounds of meat on it. It wouldn't take you but about five or six minutes once you got the hang of it to strip the back straps and, the you know, you figure out how to to uh, go down the hind quarter and kind of keep slicing around. It all comes off in one chunk. You've got two of those. You've got some on the shoulder. Ten beaver of just the meat will fill up a five-gallon bucket. And you can probably get $35, $40 a five-gallon bucket. So you're looking at caster prices that are out of out of this crazy. You, you Right now, I think, if I understand, Grinwalls up in Iowa just bought a green beaver for 8 bucks a piece. And you're going to sell the meat off of that beaver, which is probably going to be really probably... Eight ten dollars a beaver, unless it's just a small one. You can make some money doing that. If you're in an area that you, you that you catch, you know, forty fifty bobcats, and you're throwing the meat away, one you at least should eat it. If not, you should sell it. But if if you're looking at different ways to make money, and I know Montana's got a lot of beaver, and y'all, and I don't know how your cat laws are because of the way that that's been going up and down. I don't know about badger. I've never tried to use badger. But if you've got muskrats, cats, or beaver, and you just you just put them up, you just cut them off, drop them in five-gallon buckets, have a freezer sitting there, you can make an extra um, thousand, $500,000, $1,500, $2,000 at the end of the year on the same thing. That's how you can make some extra money. Keep the glands out of the animals. You know, the badger glands, like I said, um, they're probably worth, I don't know, 
couple hundred dollars a gallon at least. You need to find someone that's using them. I don't personally use them because I don't. I try not to get lure formulas where I may not be able to get certain things because I'm not always trapping badger. But the meat is a lot bigger market than a lot of guys realize. It really is. I mean, I just sent a check to a young lady in Nebraska for $1,125 for meat. $1,100. If I remember right, a, a gentleman came up from Alabama and I probably... That was probably three to four hundred dollars. He's already skinning it. He's keeping the caster. And he just got an extra three to five hundred dollars. It could have been a thousand. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly how much it was. Just because he kept the meat. Lure dealers that sell a lot in volume get to the point where you can't catch what you sell that you put in your own bait. So you're always looking for stuff like that. So just, just keep that in mind. All righty. Hello, Clint. I live up in Washington, kind of a communist state when it comes to trapping and our fake election crap. I agree. When it comes to modifications I've done, and all my vehicles side-by-side -side snowmobiles, I would probably make a Lamborghini faster than you think it would make sense to be. Or to put 330 springs on 220s or 160s. We have Big Otter Fisher. Thanks, I also think it would like to... Uh, I should run... Oh, you think that I should run for government? No, 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 no. I don't want to go to jail. And I even hate for saying it. I'm 40 years old and will not get on Facebook because I'm scared of it. And I think a lot of people should be at this point. Um, putting different springs on different traps. What you're going to run into, and if you're very handy, and you can heat up those springs or have a press to do it, yes, you can do that, but... You, what you're going to have to do is get the diameter of the circles on the springs the same size as the trap was before you took the stock ones off. What is going to be easier for you is to put a kill bar on the trap. It'll be much easier and cheaper than doing the springs. And if you don't know what that is, um, let's see, uh, I used to sell a trap called a bulldog. Tim Caven makes a 12 by 16 or used to. So um, if you get on a trapping form or call up Tim at uh, Minnesota Trap Line, see if they have one, it would be worth your time to get one and mimic, and it's a big ass trap, which you may not be able to use in Wisconsin, but you'll be able to sell it. But if you can see it, the way that it, the way that one size has a bar, one side has a bar, the other size has a bar. What you're doing is you're adding a spacer in between there. So a 330 spring is hitting harder than a 330 spring because it's not all the way closed. 
if you kind of follow what I'm saying. So what it is, it's a bar that comes off like an exaggerated lamination where those two bars come together. One will hit the other bar and the other kill bar will hit the other side of the, the body grip trap. And what it does is it actually keeps it open because you have, you know, half inch to three quarters of an inch of this spacer, which is just like a U welded welded to that um, that jaw, which you're going to need to see one to understand. You're going to have to put the dog on one of those or it won't work right. That's why you need to get one of these in your hand. You know, you can you can ask if anybody's got any bulldogs. Uh, two twenty bulldogs I used to sell probably ten years ago are uh, Tim Cavins uh, twelve by sixteen, which is a huge trap. Or if you can find anybody that's got a Savage three thirty, and you can see these kill bars and how they work, and they're much easier to do than messing with those springs, and. When you put those bars like on a 330, a 40-pound otter on a KB stabilizer, which it's not even hooked to, most of the time the otter's killed so quick that it just falls straight down on the stand. They won't even get out of the way because it has all that force and the springs are still trying to close, but it can't. So it's much more powerful than adding big springs in my, in my opinion. But you can. There's there's nothing wrong with that. You're asking if a TS, uh, TS-85 on a drag would hold a mountain lion. I would say it would. If I was gonna, if I was seriously going after mountain lions, I would go with um, the. The Canine Extreme, if I'm saying this right, from No BS Trap, his big number three Bridger-looking thing with the four springs, dude, that'll hold any mountain lion that gets in it. Guaranteed. The only thing that I see wrong with a TS-85 on mountain lions, unless you can up the spring pressure, you've got those long levers, which makes it easy to set. That's the reason I like them. They make it really easy to set. You can just set them over your knee. The leverage on that makes it just super easy. But with a drag and those levers are so long, it's going to be catching on stuff. And there's a good chance that, that it's going to let the, with pressure, pop a, uh, something as strong as a mountain lion out of it. Another good trap is an MB750. I don't think a mountain lion's getting out of an MB750. But that, I think it's called a Canine Extreme from No BS Traps. It's his number three size, fully modified, four cold. It'll hold any mountain lion that gets in there. Hold any bear that gets in there too. So just keep that in mind. Uh, okay, and the last one. This is one that's the most interesting because me and my buddies have talked about this before because there's videos we see on YouTube every now and then where someone puts a mirror out on a lion or a tiger. And the lion and tiger's walking down the trail and it looks over and it sees itself in the mirror. 
And every single time the tiger or the lion attacks the mirror, they get super aggressive because the more aggressive they get, what they're seeing in that mirror is getting just as aggressive back. So they got to get more aggressive. And sure enough, that honorary bastard that's looking back at them through the mirror is getting just as aggressive as they are. And they don't have the brain capacity to realize there's no one there but them, but they see it with their own eyes and they believe it. And they attack the mirror. And there's been talk, and I don't know how many people have actually done it. I've never done it. I've thought about it several times. I don't know why I haven't done it. But he sent me a picture of a good-looking cat set, which is a, a, a shoot set going up next to a tree with a mirror in the back. So the things I would think about if I was going to try to use a mirror on a bobcat set, it very well may work. I mean, you can get on uh, Instagram or TikTok and just put in cat videos, and within a few minutes, you're going to see what happens when a cat sees itself for the first time in a mirror. He goes berserk. House cats. They run up to it. They run away from it. They dance sideways. They do all kind of crazy shit. They, because everything that they're doing to show dominance, the thing in the mirror is showing dominance right back to them. They growl, it growls. But what you're going to need to find, I think, to not just make a mess everywhere, is you need to get a mirror that's got a plastic backing. And you may be able to get a sheet of this stuff. And, you know, I would look at the directions. Can you cut it with a, a jigsaw or razor blades or something to cut them down to size? I'd want it to be at least as tall as a bobcat, an average bobcat. So you're probably talking standing, what, two feet? If it's plastic and, say, the cat jumps over your traps and slams into the mirror, you don't want it shattering on him because then you don't have a mirror. But it would be a really cool idea. I've uh, I've known some friends that thought about putting them in the back of their boxes. I don't think they ever did. Uh, this has come around uh, two or three times in the last 10 years. I don't know if people have tried it and it didn't work. But what do you got to lose? Um, you know, go find some cheap mirrors that are, that are plastic, you know, where you can kind of bend them, where they're not just glass. Then um, they make those. Figure out how to cut them or buy them to size. I'd go out with five or six of them and just try it. You know, as aggressive as a fisher is, in the back of a cage trap, that may not be a bad thing to try. I don't know enough about Martin, how they react to other Martins, but that could be a pretty cool thing for a Martin. Maybe badgers will react to that thing. Coyotes? I don't have as much faith in that on coyotes. Because the coyotes, they live in a, in, a, in a grouping of dominance and less dominance. And when they probably come across another coyote, they're not sure who's dominant. And if it's not a very dominant type coyote, he's probably going to haul ass. I would assume, and I could be very wrong.
but uh, I think that's a that's a pretty cool idea to say the least. So I would give it a try, and if it works just like the drags on Beaver, please let me know, because that would just be cool as crap. Like I can tell you, uh, I'm going to finish with this. I had a beaver I could not catch in Louisiana, no matter what I did. So we've all seen beaver that, and I wouldn't be doing this, I mean, I'm talking ADC guys now, but when you have hard to catch beaver. So what I did is I took another beaver and I sat it up and put its tail flat and I froze that son of a gun where it could stand up on its own. And when you catch beaver, a lot of times, especially when you're using lure and they get into the lure, the other beaver attack that beaver, right? I mean, you've seen that. So what I did is I took this beaver and I froze it with its tail flat, its feet flat, and I could take this frozen beaver with me in a cooler and I took it on the edge of a dam and put two traps in front of it, footholds, nothing like a body grip trap, and I put enrager on that beaver which was just a solid frozen beaver and i had that beaver the next the very next day so the reason i'm saying that with the mirrors maybe when you have the the you know you find the holes and the undercuts of the bank and the the places on the edges of the dam where maybe you could set a mirror up and put caster there so they could see the beaver because I don't think they're gonna be able to tell the difference right away and they can smell the caster you may have a way to catch some awfully hard way to catch a beaver because there's gonna be a fight because the caster that that beaver is emitting is not what's supposed to be there and they can physically see and beaver will fight that's why you got scars all over them that's why you got cuts in the tails everything else and and those fights are freaking brutal it may even work on beaver could work on raccoons um if i thought it would work where i could paint a bobcat or a coyote on something and put it in the back so i keep possums out of the set i might even try that but I think the, the, the mirror thing is is got some application, but I think there's gonna be a learning curve to it. And I and I and I think if you if you do figure that out, that could be a really cool thing to be able to do. So give it a shot, let us know how it works. Guys, I will talk to y'all later. It is dinner time and I'm gonna go eat, get this thing uploaded, and Enjoy the rest of the evening with my wife. Y'all should do the same with yours. And I'll talk to y'all later.